Welcome to Lifehouse Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. This week, David Thomas continues his series on authentic discipleship. In this sermon, he examines what discipleship is, a true biblical definition. And he also describes his no-excuse zone, something he has me in at the moment. And it's both painful and constantly rewarding, something we all need to get into. Now, if you'd feel you'd like to, we'd love to hear from you. So send us an email at info at life-house.net. That's I-N-F-O at life-house.net. Or leave us a comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Here's David. I'm going to give you guys a secret of, you know, if you, no. let me backtrack. If you had to listen to what was being sung and um, begin looking at what God is wanting to say to us, it's you can break through. You can be an overcomer. Okay? So I'm going to give you the secret of being an overcomer, but it's very simple. It's absolutely simple. It's in the message that I'm going to preach today. All right? It's, it's that good. It's in the message. But knowing God, you know, you can go outside and pick up a simple flower, and it's so beautiful, it's so simple. And it's so easy to understand. This is a beautiful flower. But if you go and study the flower, it becomes a little bit more complicated. So understand that the secret I'm going to give you for becoming an overcomer, a breakthrough disciple, is very simple. All right? It's absolutely simple. Two things. That's it. But when you start unpacking that, that's when it starts getting complicated. But we'll get to that. Now, last week, I, sh- I started my five-part series, and that was my introduction, and, I'm, and, I, and I shared with you three illustrations. And so I'm going to pick up last week's message with one of those illustrations. You're driving over this beautiful hill, and whenever I picture this illustration, I always think of coming over into Calandra, because that was the first, you know, we, we landed in Brisbane Airport picked up a hire car, drove up the Bruce Highway, and we thought it was very funny, you know, the Bruce Highway. You've got to be a non-Australian to understand that, you know, the Bruce and Sheila thing, because that's all we hear about out there. You get, get over that rise, over that rise, and you hit that ocean, the Pacific Ocean, and there's this huge harbor. Okay, now I'm going into fantasy land, because obviously, Calandra, huge harbor. On the one side, you've got the passenger terminal. On the other side, you've got a naval military station. And there at the passenger service terminal is this beautiful ship, 10 stories high, P&O cruiser lifehouse. And on the other side, there is this gray, sleek, you can hardly see it, dressed in there, HMS battleship lifehouse. Driving over the hill in this little beat-up car are twin brothers. I mean, you strip the boys down, and you will not tell them apart. They are that identical. But one of them has got a ticket to the P&O cruise liner, and the other one has got a ticket. He's got his recruitment papers to, and and, and, and deployment papers to HMS Battleship Lifehouse. They are both going out to sea. They both have a mission. One is to party, one is to fight. One, is, one has a vision of what he's going to do. The other one also has a vision of what he's going to do. They both have purposes. When one gets on the ship, he has got values. When the other one gets on the ship, he's got values that he has no values. 
piano cruiser, you know, life house. And they are both looking for an adventure of a lifetime. You know, I can remember back when I was at school, we had twins, two boys. We were at all boys' school. And uh, I've shared the story with you, but I love the story, so you're going to get it again. Every now and then, when we were really bored at school, what we would do is we would deliberately swap our twins out. It would terrify the twins. Because can you imagine walking into your classroom with your classmates, and they suddenly grab you, toss you out the classroom as the teacher's coming, grab the other twin, drag his carcass into the classroom, put him down in the desk where they're where the, the, the right twin has got to be, and this other twin is outside there. The teacher's coming, and he knows he's got to hightail it out because you can't be outside the corridor when that bell goes. And so he's running around the corridors trying to find his brother's classroom, and we holding this one in, and the teacher walks in. And then we say to the twin, I'm going to tell the teacher on you that you're the wrong guy. And he's like, the whole class, 40 minutes, like, oh, please don't, please don't. <laughs> Sir, ask him about the subject, you know, and he's probably studying accountancy, and, the, and we're in a history class. Sir, ask him about it. He did his homework. Check his homework, sir, and this poor guy's like sweating away there. Identical. What, what do you think would happen to these two brothers if for some reason or other they swapped out? If the guy with the recruitment paper to HMS Battleship suddenly got ended up on the, on the P&O Cruiser Lifehouse? What do you think would happen to his values, his vision, his purpose? What would happen to this guy's one? His adventure of a lifetime. Yeah, he'll get the adventure of a lifetime, but it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable from what he thought it would be to what it actually is. What do you think would happen to this guy on the P&O Cruiser Lifehouse when he comes in and he's just come out of basic training, he's got the rigidness of, of military discipline, he's ready to fight, and there he's, good evening, sir. Would you like to sit at this table and have a meal? And you've got waiters serving him. Would you like to be on the deck chair in a pool? And he's in his battle dress. What do you think would happen to him? Finding the right environment to develop, to become a breakthrough Christian is absolutely crucial. Now, it is important to understand the mentality of the person who becomes a disciple. And that's essentially what we're going to be looking at today in this message. So before we move on, I have to answer the question, actually, what is, what is a disciple? What is discipleship? What is this all about? Here it is. A disciple or a discipleship is the process where a follower of a certain teacher takes on the teaching and the behavior of the teacher. Now, discipleship is as old as civilization. It's not new to the Bible. It's not new to the New Testament. You can find it in the Old Testament. Moses had a disciple called Joshua. Elijah had a disciple called Elisha. John the Baptist had his disciples. Jesus had his disciples. You know? It's everywhere. It's, it's, it's in our culture. It's in our DNA, except when we come into the church. Because now... 
Discipleship means you have to follow Jesus. You have to be like Jesus. You have to follow his teachings, and we want to end up on the PO Cruiser. PO, yeah, Cruiser, Lifehouse. For you to get to the truth, which is God. Philippians 5.1 says this, Therefore be imitators of God. Copy Him. Follow Him as well-beloved children. You have to imitate Jesus. Because Jesus has come along and He has said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus has come along and, 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 and has said, If you want to see God, look at me. I am the exact representation of God. And so a Christian needs to reach a point where he recognizes that Jesus Christ is the person that he has to imitate. The teachings of Jesus Christ are the teachings he has to follow and perpetuate. Jesus says, you call me teacher and master and Lord, you've done the right thing for that's what I am. In John 13, 13, he says in Matthew 10, it is sufficient for a disciple to be like, like his teacher and a servant or slave like his master. A disciple is in the process of becoming like Jesus. A disciple eventually begins to talk like Jesus. Right? Not King James style. You don't go to work and say, Thus saith the Lord thy God. You know, you have to people that are just running from you. You start thinking like Jesus. You start operating like Jesus. Here's one. A disciple even begins to smell like Jesus. Do you know that? You, 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 have, you, you smell, right. I, I, you, you know you smell through your nose. You didn't catch that. Okay. All right. Some of you got that one. <laughs> All right. But do you know that as a Christian disciple, you smell? Bible says so. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, and he says, For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ amongst all who are being saved and those who are, are perishing. If you go and meditate on this scripture through the week, it, it's going to blow your mind just a little bit because every time I think about the scripture, I get goosebumps because it's like, whoa, it's, 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 pretty, it's pretty awesome. Listen to this verse 16. To the one, we are the aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Now, you've all walked past a drain that's got a dead rat in it or a dead cat, and you've smelt that. That's the smell of death. And you've all walked in where there's nice potpourri burning and that kind of stuff, and whatever you think the smell of life is, it's such a pleasant smell. This is, this is where, when I think of this, this is what I think of, okay? Uh, two things. If I'm personally standing in God's presence, what's my B.O.? All right? When God walks past me, you know, has a little whiff, what is that whiff going to smell like, you know? fresh shower life or, or just like a, the stench of death? How am I smelling to God? 
Then the second picture that I get when I look at that is I, I, I picture myself wherever I go, within any relationship that I'm interacting with, and I'm always conscious of the, of the effect that I have on people. Death, life. I'll walk into a room and there'll be people there. And if I begin to interact with those people, I will bring them death or I will bring them life. Because if I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, listen to this, I think like Jesus, I act like Jesus, I talk like Jesus, I operate like Jesus, and so when I'm doing all of that and I'm walking into a situation that I find, I will be thinking like Jesus thinks about that, I will be operating like Jesus operates, and I will speak forth as Jesus would speak forth. And my words will then impact these people and create a response that will be death to them or life to them. Makes me very, very, ooh, you know. I think that's why maybe they went, you know, some of the Christians who understood this went and became monks or hermits. It's not so death. For God, for to God, we are the aroma of Jesus. Christian disciples are made. And so Christian disciples go through a recruitment process and a training process. I'm not going to go into this in depth this morning. I'm just going to throw out a couple of little pointers here to you about the, the training process that might just help you along. And you can read that when I eventually get around to actually writing that book of spiritual warfare. <laughs> the podcast is still sitting there. Now, this is what I want to say about a disciple. If you go and speak to a disciple of Jesus, the disciple of Jesus will know they've been called. Okay? Without a doubt, you go and speak to a disciple and ask him, are you called? He'll say yes. You ask him, when were you called? He'll be able to tell you. Da, 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 on that day. Got a discipleship mentality. You go and speak to a disciple and the disciple will know who he is. He is in the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And you go and speak to a disciple and he will know. Use this as a test, all right? Use this as a test. The disciple will know he will continually be undergoing rigorous training from the Holy Spirit. Okay? It's continuous. It just doesn't end. If you think you've got it, you're probably on holiday and you're going into the next grade next year. Yeah, and, the, and, the, and the learning will begin, and the training will begin, and the testing will begin again, and he'll go deeper into you because you are conforming, and I'll give you a scripture about it later on, more and more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. A large amount of the training of a disciple has to deal with the person's identity and understanding how to apply that identity out into the world. I know who I am. I know what I am. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I know where I'm supposed to be doing it. And I know very clearly whose I am. 
So if you go and study the Bible, or if you go and start reading biographies of great Christian disciples, or you go and start speaking to disciples around you, you will begin to understand that when you listen to them, they will know they have been called by God to salvation, and they will be then called by God into service. Last year, just before boot camp, I waited on the Lord for a, for a word from the Lord so that I could give it to the team in an advanced word to prepare them for boot camp and to prepare their, their, their thought processes. And so I went to the Lord and I got, the, I got a download. I got three words. That's all I got, three words. So I took the three words to the men and the Lord told me what the three words meant. And the three words were these, shift, shock, advancement. Okay? Now, many, many messages will come out and say, come to Jesus, and all things will become new, and praise God, hallelujah, he will take all your troubles away and all your burdens, and, and, and everything is going to be just right. Here's your ticket, piano, cruiser, life house. And then the shock takes place. Because somehow or other, the Holy Spirit just manages to put a different ticket in your hand and you end up on HMS Battleship, Life House. And the shock takes place because then the Lord says, come my son, come my daughter, let's go into the desert of training to begin to train you. And I will then begin to align you and pull you towards me. And everything that is not on you that is going to be beneficial to discipleship is going to come off. And then the advancement takes place, and then you get placed. So an environment to develop discipleship, you need a five-fold ministry team around you, and they will give you the tools for ministry, they will give you the weapons for warfare, and they will teach you how to open up your ears to hear what the Spirit of God has to say. Next week in my sermon, I'm going to be talking a little bit about the, 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 five, the, the, the big five ministry plan of this church. Okay, so training is important. Getting tested is important. You've got to learn how to find out the difference between a desert of training, a desert of war, and a desert of sin. I love the book by Frank Demasio called Making of a Leader, and there he talks about 15 different scenarios that God takes you through to train you. And sometimes disciples don't recognize the difference between training and battle and, and, and a sin desert, and they end up getting tangled up. So he gives, let me give you a few. He says there's a time test. Uh, th th this, this really, uh, this frustrates me because I'm in an instant society. Yeah? Have you noticed in yourselves, well, for my generation, like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, I was running a church without a computer. How on earth I did that? I must have been like a superman back then to run a church without a computer. And then when I got my first computer, it was like one of those little Sinclair Spectrums, you know? Never knew how to work it properly, but I was so proud of that computer. But now if I had to sit with a Sinclair Spectrum, now I'd probably bash it to pieces and call it a piece of junk. It's so slow. And so God puts me through the time test. Come sit at my feet, my son, and be still. Supposed to be saving the world, Lord. <laughs> the word test. 
The character test. Oh, that's a, that's, that's, that's a nasty one, that one. The character test. Oh. Fruit, fruit growth takes you into his orchard of development. So you just take out of your mind this pleasant thing of beautiful orchards, nice glass of Chardonnay, walking down. No, just scratch that. Desert. Motivation test, servant test, wilderness test, misunderstanding test, patience test, frustration test, discouragement test, warfare test, self-will test, vision test, usage test, and then the promotion test. We teach that. We will begin teaching that in our leadership training. But when you speak to a disciple, the disciple will be able to tell you, I am called, I have purpose, I have mission, I have vision, and I'm getting out there to do the thing. So now, we have to find the right training venue. I was reading this article a couple of years ago, and I always keep these articles, and I want to share with you the statistics that were found in this article. Now, it came from an evangelical church in the USA, one of the evangelical denominations, and they made a survey through all their churches on what is the price financially and time-wise and manpower-wise to produce a disciple, a believer. And their definition of a believer was to instruct people how to be a church member. All right? To be a member of a congregation, to come and be a nice member of a congregation, to be nice and safe and be a nice, safe church member. So the, the... after all the survey came in, it took 100 members, $100,000 with one full-time worker, one year to produce one disciple. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, I felt that. But can you imagine for the one disciple when he gets to heaven... And he sees the white throne judgment and everyone going there. And he, he's, he's just going to run around to those 100 people and say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, and to all those donors, bless you, bless you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And that, that worker that you worked a whole year for me, thank you. So for him, it's okay. But it's not really effective. 100 people to one, you running a business in the world there, man, you get fired. Now listen to this. Listen to what Isaiah writes In Isaiah 50 verse 4, the servant of God says, the Lord has given me the tongue of a disciple and of one who is taught that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. It shouldn't take a hundred of us to get one. It should take one of us to get one. And so we have to begin to find the right environment that activates us to become a disciple, that we have the tongue of a disciple, that we have the teaching of a disciple, and that we've got an ear to hear what God is saying and who we need to be connecting to. So find the right place. I'm going to give you four more points, and then we're going to have... break bread and have communion. And I'm going to tie up my, my, my conclusion of this message to a challenge of the communion table. So here are the four points. Point number one, what is the goal of discipleship? 
Now you will know that I'm repeating myself now. To be a follower of Jesus and to become like Jesus. That's it. That's the goal of discipleship. You'll notice I've not mentioned church. I've not mentioned membership. I've not, I've not mentioned anything like that. Our discipleship is to become like Jesus and to follow Jesus. Romans 8, to be conformed to the image of his son. This is the one I like. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Paul is writing and he says, and I'm reading out, reading out the Amplified Version, he says, all of us, as with an unveiled face, because we continually behold the word of God, as in a mirror the glory of God, here it is, the glory of the Lord, are constantly being transformed into his very own image in ever-increasing splendor from one degree of glory to another. I've told you before, I've preached on this before, that if you start a year as a disciple and you do not improve by the end of that year, there's something wrong. Because we are being constantly transformed into his very own image in ever increasing splendor from one degree of glory, of power to another. So that's the goal of discipleship. Number two, what are we supposed to do as disciples? Now here's the secret two things. And this first thing I'm going to share with you, I'm going to tie up to a, a satanic attack later on. First thing, you have to give the Holy Spirit the right to speak into your life. Okay? Now you might think, oh, but he does, he, he's got that right. No. You see, Jesus died to set you free. You are free to choose to do whatever you want to do. And a disciple comes and chooses to follow. And so you have to make a conscious, deliberate choice to say, Holy Spirit, begin changing me. You know, in a beautiful worship service like this, uh, fantastic preaching like this, uh, <laughs> you know, it sounds great. Oh, yeah, praise God, hallelujah. Lord, change me. You know what the Lord will say? Okay. And he takes you to where? The training desert. The Spirit led the Lord Jesus into the desert to be tested and tempted by the devil. We have to take his advice. We have to receive his guidance. We have to receive his direction. We have, have to listen to his warnings. We have to stand before the word of God like a mirror with an unveiled face and say, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me about this. And then in that way, we become a living witness, duplicating his life, duplicating his thoughts, 
duplicating his actions, so much so that Jesus Christ himself said, you see these people, they're going to do more than I did. For we are the aroma of Christ. We bring life and we bring death. People are going to love you and people are going to hate you. Oh, okay, just a quick, a quick warning. A quick warning. When you become a Christian, all right, of all the religions in the world, Christianity is underpinned by love. And oftentimes we get a little bit of a misunderstanding that it's like, oh, I'm a Christian and I'm so full of love and I love everything and now everyone's going to love me back, you know? And we walk into the world and say, give me the love, people. <laughs> Not going to happen. There's a young guy in this church, young man in this church, who's, who's begun the journey of coming to know Jesus, getting to know Jesus, getting to study the Word of God. And I was, on, I was on Facebook the other day, and I saw that he mentioned something about church and what he was doing in church. And one of his friends, Facebook friends, that's going to be one of my soapbox things, that one. I can, I can see it coming. Just It's coming. Anyway, let me not get on that. Anyway, this guy just lambasted him with the filthiest language, basically telling him, you make a choice. It happens, people. So, what are you supposed to do as a disciple? One, you have to allow God to speak into your life, and this is going to change you, and change is going to take stuff away from you that you like or that you've grown comfortable with and put stuff in you that's going to be different, and you're going to get used to it, the shock. Number two, the New Testament... The gospel is, is, is a gospel of salvation, but it is not only the gospel of salvation. It is the gospel of the kingdom of God. And the minute you say, yes, Jesus, I will be your disciple, Jesus says, okay, fine, go and make disciples and take the gospel of the kingdom out there and teach them how to live as a citizen of the kingdom. Follow me as the king. You've got to make them disciples. Be a disciple. Make a disciple. Number three, you cannot talk about discipleship without authenticity. Okay? You, ju you just can't. Authentic discipleship is word-based discipleship. It is Christ-centered discipleship, not man-made discipleship. You know? An authentic disciple is the genuine thing, the real thing, the valid thing, the bona fide thing, the reliable thing, the de dependable thing, the accurate thing, the faithful thing. I, I, I was watching this DVD series a few years ago from Lisa Bevere called Fight Like a Girl, Session 9, and she writes about authenticity. Yes, I watch women preachers. We've got a lot of good women preachers here. Fantastic. So this Fight Like a Girl, all right, and she was talking about authenticity. This is what she says. God is looking for more than real in your life. 
You can be a real piece of wood. But when you go into the fire, you will come out like a real piece of ash. <laughs> I love that. God is looking for authentic. The authentic is different for the real. Now, this is the, this is the part that I really love. There's, there's stuff that I really love in this, and there's stuff that I thought, yeah, I understand what you're saying. I know what you're saying. I just don't like what you're saying. I believe what you're saying. Uh, this is it. She says, our authenticity can be, provi- can be proven by our actions by God, His tasks for us, the church, and our enemies. Uh, that's a good one. You will be known for your authenticity by the people who hate your guts. If you don't have enemies, you're not real disciples. Because someone who goes onto a battleship goes into a war. And he has enemies. So she goes on. Authentic is not perfect. It's flawed, but authentic. We must be consistent in all our behavior, duties, both in private and public. Now, here's a warning. All right? Lights go. Warning siren. Here's a warning. Every authentic move towards discipleship can be so quickly hijacked by a program, by a person, that you have to watch out. Do not think you are immune. The Jews were not immune. Jesus came along and and said to the Jews in Mark chapter 7, he said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied, prophesied about you hypocrites. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are from me. They worship me in vain. Listen to it. Here it is. Their teachings are merely human rules. You've let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. There's just something in us that will always tend for us to grab the human tradition and move that way. The early church, you know, we idolize the early church, but you read the the, the New Testament and it's all about the problems in the early church. And Paul writes to the Galatian church and he says to to you, I'm astonished. In Galatians chapter 1 verse 6, how quickly you are deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Goes on and says, who's bewitched you? The historical church can't can't stand up and brag either because they gave us the dark ages. And what about our church today? Enablement, empowerment. God declares in his word that his people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. God declares that his people, if they have no vision, they cast off restraint. And they do what they think is right in their own eyes. I don't know how many times I've told you this. Through different types of sermons. You are responsible for what goes into your life. And you are responsible for who puts it there. He has a satanic battle plan. I was going to give it last week, but I thought it would be better fitting in this one. And it has to do with replacing true discipleship, Christ-centered discipleship. Now, I want you to put in your mind a picture 
of the staircase. At the top of the staircase, there's people who are worshiping God. At the bottom on the floor down below, there are people that are worshiping Satan. But there's no direct lines or stairs or ladders between the two. It's a path. It's a curved path down, a curved stairway down. Now, I want to tell you that Satan will not appear to you in his true form and say, I want you to stop worshiping God. I want you to come and worship me. Because he knows you're not going to fall for that. And so what he does is he starts to take people down a path away from God. God is here. Satan is here. Away from God and also what seems to be away from him and then curves you in back to himself. And on each of the staircase, there is a landing where people can camp out and stay if they want to stay. But the minute you step off the first rung onto that staircase, you're stepping away from God. And the first step away from God is formalism. This goes back to the first rule of discipleship. Formalism is religion. It's where you say, God, you have no right to speak into my life directly. I will surround it by laws and human traditions. So a religious person denies God the right to speak into his life. But man, they are happy, they are wonderful, they are worshiping, and everything is great and hunky-dory, but the Holy Spirit is barred from making them disciples. The next rung down is materialism. And you'll find that people on the outer fringes of formalism are starting to get influenced by materialism. And they start looking at the things that God has made. Oh, wonderful. Oh, beautiful. And they just forget about the riches of Christ. And so the next rung down off that is humanism where people start thinking about God and then they've been influenced by formalism and they've got all these wonderful things around them and they start thinking, do you know, man is great. Man is great. Man is at the center of everything. And they begin exalting people. And the minute they begin exalting people, Satan calls them away for a little bit more and they become modernists. So at this point, they're probably going to be, besides being in Satan, they're going to be their furthest away within the Christian circle because the modernist now begins to play with God's word. It's like, it's like those girls in the movies, you know, when they're thinking of this guy that loves them and they pick up a flower, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me, loves, loves me not. And so they pick up the Bible and they say, oh, Romans chapter 2, he loves me not. Oh, Galatians chapter 5, he loves me not. And they just tear it out. And they tear out the things of the Word of God they just don't like because they're modernists. We don't need that. And the minute they do that, they, they step into the next rung, which is at the furthest apex away from God, besides Satanism, and that is rationalism. And here they start declaring, religion is dead. There is no God. And now the staircase separates into two. Those people who choose social justice, and those people who choose existentialism, the spiritual, the supernatural, the occult. 
And so they go into the social realm, and the only way you can manage people, look after people, guide people in the social realm, is socialism leading to communism, leading to Marxism. That's society without God. And the existentialist just starts to look at different pieces of rock. They'll go and pick up a rock, and it glints at them, and they'll say, Oh, this is God in the rock, and we're communing. Can you feel it? And then they get other existentialists to look at yeah, where can I find one of those pieces of rock? And have it, oh, you know? And they get all new agey, and they start getting, dabbling into the occult, and they start to try and find meaning in the spirit realm outside God's realm. And that's in Satanism. That's how the devil attacks. That's his major form of attack. Okay. Last week I told you about empowerment. Now, you need to be very, very careful of never allowing an individual or a teaching or a philosophy to replace Christ in your life. And the minute you step onto this path, you will have every temptation thrown at you from formalism, materialism, humanism, modern, rationalism, Marxism, existentialism at you in its various forms to get you off the battleship and get you onto the P&O so that you can become an ineffective sleeping disciple. The environment I told you last week that you are in determines the release of the potential. God has placed within each one of you gifts, ministries, talents. Three talents, five talents, one talent. But don't be like the one talenter and bury it. Develop it, produce, and find the environment that's going to activate that. If you are a disciple and you find yourself in an environment that is enabling you, your potential is not going to be released. If you as a disciple find yourself in an environment that is going to empower you, your potential is going to be released. Jesus said to the Jews who believed in them, if you abide, if you abide in my word, if you hold fast to my teachings and live in accordance with my teachings, John chapter 8, you are truly my disciples. I'm going to begin wrapping up now, and we're going to go and into the, uh, to, to, to break bread and have communion together. The challenge that I'm going to give you over the communion table is Isaiah 50. These are the questions I'm going to leave with you, and I'm going to pick them up next week. Who is responsible in your life for the environment that you are in? Who is responsible in your life for the journey that you have to take as a disciple, and I'll show you this journey next week, from being a baby to maturity, from being a recruit to being a veteran? How much responsibility do you carry for the state of your discipleship? Last week, I gave you a list of 31. This week, I'll give you a list of 23. 
right? Last week, I gave you the list of characteristics. This week, I'll give you the list of a mentality. If you, if you speak to a disciple, this is the mentality that this disciple will carry, all right? It'll come out in different ways, different forms, different terms, depending on where they, where they are in, in, in their different churches. But this is what they are thinking about. This is how they think. Number one, they will always encourage intimacy with Jesus. They will always encourage communion with Jesus. Number two, they will always trust the Lord for revelation and, 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 and the, the conception of His things in their heart. They will always volunteer freely their heart and soul to Him in service. They understand the difference between service and ministry. They will always be travailing and praying about their brothers and sisters, the church, and about the lost. They seek the spirit of prayer and intercession constantly to break through the natural into the supernatural. Matthew chapter 6, go and study this. This is what they do. A disciple mentality, these guys are thinking all the time, and they're continually seeking God. They're continually seeking to get into the heavens and then to bring down the heavens to the earth. And you think, what on earth are you talking about? Go and read the Lord's Prayer. It's there. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a disciple mentality. So they will start always to recreate the environment so that the will of God is prominent. Number seven, they seek God for what is in heaven and bring it down to earth. Number eight, they cause a materialization of what is in the heavenlies to be on the earth. In other words, these guys are producing and living a kingdom lifestyle according to kingdom rules. You want to find out where the kingdom rules are? Go read, them, go read Matthew 6, the Beatitudes. Blessed, 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 blessed. Do this, live like this. It's all there. They know how to use the authority, the keys of the, of the church. They know how to use it. They must have a ment- they, they, they've got a mental attitude of being unstoppable. You can't stop these guys. Listen to me now. If a disciple connects to heaven, hears what God has got to say, and activates, you won't stop him. Forget about it. Just get out of his way or get next to him and walk with him. All right? That's the way it is. Number 10, they have a mental attitude of being an unstoppable generation. I want you to think about that as young people in this church, the unstoppable generation. They know that they are going to rule the nations with Jesus Christ. They know how to get to the throne of God and enter boldly, Hebrews chapter 4. They know that they have to carry the responsibility of nourishing the body. They know that they are in a company and they're not loners. 
They know that they will succeed in the heavenlies once they find their rightful place on earth. This is an incredible one. A disciple will always be seeking to find where they fit in. Lord, where am I supposed to be fitting in? What am I supposed to be doing? And the minute they lock into place with other people of the same company, that group begins to affect the atmosphere of the community. It begins to change. They know that they will succeed in the heavenlies once they find their rightful place in God. Number 16, they know their position in the spirit will alter the position of the enemy spirits. Think about that one for a second. These guys, the disciples, they know how anointed, powerful they are. They know what they carry. And when they're walking around, they know this. They're walking around, they know they impact in the spiritual realm. They are constantly learning to cast Satan under their feet. They manifest Christ's kingdom and power and authority. You want to go and understand what a disciple is? Go and listen. Go and read Matthew chapter 6, the Beatitudes. Go and look at what Jesus said and did and how they need to live. And then go and watch an authentic disciple. And you will see they're authentic, they're flawed but authentic. And you will see that they are exercising kingdom authority Power very, very clearly. Number 19. They are prepared for the cost. They are prepared to pay the price of discipleship. They are prepared to pay the price of love. And they are prepared to pay it no matter what it costs them. And they have begun to learn to live with an understanding of the power of their testimony and of the blood of the Lamb. They're Revelation 12 thinkers. They learn. They know how to embrace persecution. And they understand that persecution produces new life. And you, you watch a disciple when deception comes near them. Right? <laughs> See how agitated they get. They get, they get wild, you know? <laughs> A disciple can pick up deception and they flee it at all costs. They will not allow it in them at all costs. That's how a disciple thinks. And they're in the process of getting there. Now, Ben, I'll send that to Ben and he'll load it up. And when you download the podcast, you can download that list. Sam, do you want to come up here? We're going to break bread right now. I hope you don't get any feedback when I'm down here. Hang on. Thanks. Stand there. Stand there with me. Come, Chris. <laughs> All right. See, when we were in the denominational church, I used to have all my elders there sitting with my tie. You know, you know hallelujah to these guys. <laughs> really makes them embarrassed. <laughs> okay. Whose responsibility is it for the environment that you find yourself in? Who's, the, who's responsible for that? Who's responsible in your life 
for the journey that you have to take as a, as a baby Christian all the way through to maturity, as a recruit all the way through to, to becoming a veteran. How much responsibility do you carry regards the fruit of discipleship being manifest in your life? The covenant table in biblical understanding is God comes at one side and he stands and he says to you, I'm going to covenant with you. I'm going to enter a contract with you. And this is what I'm going to do for you. And as a sign of that covenant, this is, what, this is how I'm going to show you that I'm going to do it. And he died for your sins. And so God said to you, I'm making you free to choose. But if you choose me, I'm going to empower you with the greatest life you've ever experienced. The life of a disciple. And you're going to be like my son. And I'm going to draw you in. And the Holy Spirit is going to lead you step by step by step from one degree to another, from one point of glory to another. And your life is going to be a life well lived. And then the Lord stands. And then you have to come and stand at the other side of this covenant table because this is what this table is. When you take this cup and you take this bread, you are entering a covenant with God. So when you come to that table, you have to give your list. The list of a disciple, two things. And he broke bread and he said, I will give you freedom and life and life abundantly. You come this side and you say, Lord, I receive that. I give you the right to change me so that I can live in this freedom. And the more you change me, the more of a heavenly being. I'm actually becoming. And so as my life ticks away, and as your Holy Spirit transforms me, I'm slowly being transformed into a kingdom minister, a kingdom citizen, becoming more and more like Jesus. Take the bread as it gets handed out. Hold on to it and just bow your heads while Sam just ministers to us. Don't eat it just yet, but just think about what I've said. Just come before the Lord right now. The advantage of coming before the Lord is the Lord doesn't matter what state you come to Him in. If you messed up, blown it, if you haven't, doesn't matter. Come before the Lord and just embrace Him again and just come to Him and say, Lord, I give you the right. I give you the right to speak to me. I receive your call, Lord. 
I'm prepared for your training. I want to conform more and more and more into the image of your son. Lord, I know it's going to cost me. I'm prepared to pay the price. I'm prepared to pay the price of love and commitment. I'm prepared to pay the price of smelling like you. I'm prepared to carry the responsibility of walking around carrying life and death into every community I walk into. Just bow your heads and pray. And pray that commitment. While your head is bowed, just look at Jesus and say, Lord, and speak to him. And tell him what you're prepared to do. Let's partake of the bread together. what you've asked him to do for you right now. The bread is a symbol of strength and energy. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will saturate you with breakthrough power and breakthrough authority so you can become the man, the woman that Jesus intended you to become. Take the wine. I pray, Lord, that you will cleanse us with your blood. I pray, Lord, that as we stand, you will wash us clean. And that you will set us on a new platform. Clean our minds, Lord, from works that lead to death. Clean our souls, Lord. Just let the blood of Jesus wash through every stronghold, every wound, every injury. Take him there now and say, Lord, just clean, clean, clean. The servant of God says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of a disciple and of one who is taught. I receive the tongue of a disciple. I receive 
the deep teachings of Almighty God that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to hear as a disciple, as one who is taught. Father, I just pray for your people right now. I pray for your anointing to rest upon them. I pray, Lord, that you will give them the breakthrough mentality of a disciple. I pray, Lord, that you will give them the overcoming ferocity of a follower of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you will open their ears to hear what the Holy Spirit has got to say to them. I pray, Lord, that you will begin to lead each one on the journey from where they are to the next degree to transforming into your image, Lord. I pray that you will release your people with such authority, with such power, that when they go forth, Lord, they will have, a, they will have a, a, an anointing upon them and an understanding upon them that they will have the word to speak to those who are weary and that they will be able to go and give life to those that are seeking salvation. And, they, and, and Lord, I pray that you will just place upon their heart the weightiness of their life that you see the life of a disciple. I commit them to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.